I want to continue a series, um, really round it off, with the stuff we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And if you're part of the church, you will know this, but for those who aren't, I'm just going to repeat myself very briefly. We are due to, on the 27th of October, multiply our morning service. From having one morning service at 10.30 a.m., we're going to go to having two morning services, first at 9 a.m., second at 11.30 a.m., and this is really kind of a journey that we've been on in response to what God is doing among us. The Holy Spirit is bringing people to us, and we want to make sure that we have space for them in our hearts, yes, but also in our buildings. And this is a, a kind of like the next step along that journey, even as we pursue a bigger um, building project that is rumbling along in the background. This is the next step that we're going to take. And because this is going to involve inconvenience for us, because this is going to involve sacrifice for us. One of the things that we've been doing really intentionally over the last two weeks is reminding ourselves of the why, of the vision of it. And last week, Mike spoke really, um, really practically about having two morning services and why is it that we came to that as an option and what are the challenges that are going to be involved in that and what's been the thinking, the thought process behind it. But one of the things he said, uh, he was talking about his olive tree called Olive and how he had this tree in a pot and um, he was reluctant to plant it out into the garden because he feared that the risk would be that the olive tree would not survive. But in the end, he recognized that if the olive tree was going to grow, he had to take the risk, take the step and plant it out. And in the same way for us, it's a very comfortable thing to, to have one morning service. And it's a risky thing going from one morning service to two morning services. I think people can underestimate sometimes the challenge it involves. But actually, if we want to continue as a family to do that which Jesus is calling us to do, um, then it's a risk that we have to now step out and take. And um, he finished that talk, uh, if you remember, with asking the question, do we, do we have what we need in order to run two morning services? And his answer uh, was no and yes. No in the sense of at present we, we don't, um, but, but uh, because Obviously, we've been running one morning service, but yes, in the sense of if we go on a journey together, and if this is something that we walk into together as, as a united family, then yes, we do have everything that we need in this room in order to make it possible. And I want to speak specifically to that question and really ask kind of a, a bigger question, a background question, which is why do we as followers of Jesus serve one another? Why do we serve? And, um, you know, there is no hidden agenda. The agenda is sitting on your seat in front of you. It has been handed out, which is that we're inviting people as we go on this journey to pledge uh, not money, which is what we invited people to pledge as we look to step into the building project, but instead time and instead choosing to um, serve the brothers and sisters in the church and God and the people outside of this church. So, so there's, there's that going on in the background, but I just I feel like in any talk like this, I have to start, if, if not for your sake, at least for my own, with some disclaimers. All right, and so here are the disclaimers. Number one, I could say these really quickly like they do on the radio, but none of you would listen. So I'll have to say them slowly. Number one, we are not asking anybody to uh, serve any harder. So anybody who's already serving, there's no expectation that you would serve any harder. Uh, we'd love you to continue to serve. Uh, if you feel like you have capacity to serve in two services, then that's fantastic. But there's no expectation um, that you will. 
Uh, I'm not going to attempt to guilt anybody into serving. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's house where you get the vibe from at least one of the, you know, maybe if it's a couple, you get the vibe from one of them that they really don't want you there, but they've been guilted into having you there. Um, That's not a fun environment to be in, and we don't want to create that environment at any of our services. So I'm not going to attempt to guilt anybody into doing anything. Um, The second disclaimer is we are so aware of how busy and how exhausted so many of us are. Um, you know, for lots of us, it's an achievement just to turn up at 10.45, isn't it? And it's all we could do not to put the kids in the oven and the chicken in the car. We, we managed to make it here at the end of what has been a brutal week. And so we, are, we, are, we absolutely get that. And it's, it's a really valid criticism, I think, that is made of churches that, uh, you know, church sort of professionals spend their time coming up with all these visions and then trying to shoehorn everybody else into actually making that happen. Um, And we're we're very clear as a team that our role is to serve you. It's not to put burdens upon you. Uh, We're very clear that your primary ministry will be not what you get involved with on a Sunday, but what you do Monday to Saturday through the week. We're already talking about the next phase of Gathered to Go, where we look at how we might serve you better in what your ministry is um, through the week. So we're really, really clear about that. Um, And and at the same time, we also want to recognize the fact that though we each have an individual ministry, we also together have a corporate ministry. Um, As a family, we do, as a body of believers, have things that Jesus has led us into. And this multiplying of a morning service is not a casual idea that somebody threw out in a brainstorming session. This is, is, we've been journeying this for months, and this is the next step on the journey that we feel the Spirit is leading us upon. Um, But we're very aware of, of kind of tiredness and busyness levels. And so that leads me on to my third and my final disclaimer, which is, uh, it really is okay not to be okay. And I love what Ruth just said. This is, this is a great church, um, you know, to not be well in. And you knew what she meant. What she meant there, I think, was um, that it doesn't matter what you can give or not give, you will be loved here. And one of, one of the things that I love about this place is, and we don't get it right all the time, obviously, but what we aspire to be is a church where if you've got nothing to give, you are so welcome here. And we know that people turn up broken. We know that people turn up sometimes wounded and, and, and burdened from stuff that's happened in life, but also sometimes from stuff that's happened in other churches. And uh, at the beginning of this, I, I want to say that this is a place uh, where you can just be with no expectations upon you. And I never want us to lose that. And we're certainly not going to lose it because of this. So, so let me just say that really, really clearly. Um, at the same time, I do want to share a bit this morning about why is it that as followers of Jesus we serve. Obviously in, in the light of what we're talking about as we look to doing two morning services. And my hope is that if you're already involved in serving, and I know that's lots of us, that you will be affirmed in what you're doing. And I always find it helpful to be reminded of, oh yeah, that's why I kill myself making this happen, even though every morning I have to get up earlier, I regret it. Um, I hope you'll be affirmed in it. If you're here and you're kind of contemplating this, um, then I hope it will be something that at least will be thought-provoking and it will be an invitation for you maybe to think about serving if, if your season of life allows for that. And if you're here and you're just exploring Christianity, 
then I hope what this will do, at the very least, is give you an insight into what it is to be a follower of Jesus, or at least one aspect of what it is to follow him. And so, uh, to begin, I want to read from John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1. This is a meal that I would have loved to have been at. This is the final meal that Jesus has with his disciples before he gets arrested and taken to the cross. Um, Let's read a little bit. So, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And another way of saying that is Jesus knew that he was about to die. He knew that his, his painful, brutal, humiliating execution was just um, a matter of hours away. So, uh, then it says this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. He never says the right thing. Uh, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, Pete. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then he makes a little speech, which we're going to come to in a second. Um, But that first thing, so when we think about why do we serve, here's point number one. We serve because in Jesus' kingdom, the way up is down. The way up is down. Um, It's hard for us, even if this is a story that's quite familiar to us. If you've been growing up in church, I'm sure you'll have heard this story before about Jesus washing feet. But it's hard for us to get the impact that there would have been as that happened before them and to them as they're sitting there at the mealtime. So number one, we can all appreciate that feet smell, right? Feet are stinky and they're gross and we all try and hide them most of the time. Um, There occasionally are uh, days where you might have taken extra special care of your feet if you're wearing a pair of flip-flops perhaps. But for most of us, what we do is we hide them and we tuck them away. Well, that's, that's living in the UK. But if you live in the Middle East and you wear sandals and you're walking around, in a drop, a kind of like a hot, dusty uh, environment all of the time, what happens is your feet going from, go from being sort of 5 out of 10 on the disgusting scale to being 9 out of 10 on the disgusting scale. There's dust and there's crust and there's all the other stuff like bunions, which I don't really know what they are, but they're horrible. And, uh, you know, dry skin and unkept toenails and all the stuff that gets stuck underneath the toenails and then the stuff that gets in between the toes. Am I painting a picture for you? And, uh, and then you add into that the smell. All right, which is a whole other picture. But then you've got these disgusting feet. And so in the culture, obviously, if you, if you were doing that for a, for a kind of like as a role, that was because you were the bottom rung on the ladder. You were at the lowest of the lowest of the low, physically because you're washing feet, but actually socially as well. It's the role of a slave. And if there's no slave, it's the role of the lowest person in the room. So it's a horrible, skanky, disgusting job. But more than that, it's a humiliating one. And um, 
so I, I, I love this because Jesus, Jesus sort of like takes off his you know, clothes and stuff like that and wraps the towel around him. And then it says, after that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And because we're not there, we don't know. But I picture it as there being this kind of stunned silence as they all watch Jesus washing one another, you know, the other people's feet. And he's working his way around the table and they're thinking he's coming up to me. I'm like third in line here. Or Pete's thinking, okay, he's coming. I better prepare a brilliant speech that will get written down in the Bible and everyone will read forever. And, and it's like he's coming towards me. And they, they, for them, just imagine it for them, they know him as a rabbi. Again, in that culture, rabbis were respected. Rabbis didn't wash people's feet. Not only do they know him as a rabbi, they know him as the supreme rabbi. The rabbi who can calm a storm with a whisper, who can walk over water, who can turn entire swimming pools into wine for a party. So he's the supremely powerful rabbi that they know. They know him as the wise, erudite, witty rabbi who's never been outmastered in a debate, who can put the Sadducees in their place, who can tell the Pharisees what's what. So they know him as this strong man. They know him as a supreme character. And so to see him suddenly taking his... like. His coat off, getting a towel out, getting the nail clippers and kneeling down and scrubbing in between their toes and getting all that skanky stuff off around the heel. It was just like, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing, Jesus? And that's all they knew of him in the human world, right? And then what they don't know, really, what they haven't understood is what John tells us in this book, which is he says this. I think this is mad, right? Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This isn't just that he can turn water into wine and heal somebody. This is everything sits under his power. The movement of the stars. The, the, the rotation of the earth. Everything sits under his power. And then it goes on to say, and that he had come from God. It's hard for us to uh, begin to understand what that means, but it's like <laughs> he knew that he was pre-existent with the Father before he was born. He knew that everything was made through him. And then the next thing it says is, and that he was returning to God. So he knew that he was going to, Uh, having been through the cross and the resurrection, he was going to be raised up, seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven on this eternal throne of glory, surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 angels, worshipped by all of creation. Every president, every queen, every emperor who's ever lived, every warlord, every so-called powerful sovereign would bow the knee before that throne. So he gets all of that about himself. So he gets the toe clippers out and he kneels down on the floor and he starts to wash and one of the things that's so profound about that is that that act of service which they witnessed because it was done for them is an act that he has done for me and he's done it for you And uh, this is not what Jesus does for one single moment before he goes back to being served by everybody else. When God becomes a human being, he, he goes from the throne of heaven to kneel down to becoming one of us. And then when he's one of us, 
he kneels even further to become the least of us. And his life is not one like, I don't know if you've ever seen that TV program, Undercover Bosses, where like a CEO pretends to be a normal worker bee for a few days and sort of gets an insight into what it's like and then goes back to being CEO. This is not what's happening with Jesus. What's happening with Jesus is he is he's not pretending to be a servant for a brief time to make a point to us. What he's doing is he's revealing that God in his nature is a servant. This is how God is. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, although he was in very nature God, he didn't choose to stay that way, but became one of us and took on the very nature of a servant. The word could be translated as easily slave. And so it shows us this is what he's like. And all the way through his life, we see that. The way that he's constantly associating with himself, with those who are at the bottom of society, but he's not doing it in a condescending way. What he's doing it is in a way of love. And like, I want to lift you high. Let me serve you people who are struggling. Let me serve you, you who are lowest. And he has served me. So the God who reveals himself in this moment is really painting a picture of what he's always like. But here's the, here's the crunching. This is where it comes from being God is a servant in his nature to being because he serves me. He serves you. In that picture, what the disciples have is they have Jesus kneeling beneath them, looking up at them. God kneeling before them, not to worship them, but to serve them. And in the same way, picture Jesus kneeling before us. Picture him looking up to us as he seeks to serve us, as he seeks to lift us high. And Christian service, it begins there. It doesn't begin with, this is the need. I suppose somebody's got to do it and nobody else is going to, so maybe I will. Christian service doesn't start there. It starts with this revelation that we have of our Lord, that he would serve me. This is the God. There's no other religion that comes close to speaking of God Almighty in the, in the way that he's revealed to us in the scripture. He serves me. And when we get that, when we understand and appreciate that, then everything begins to change. But for so many of us, we're like, Peter, no, no, whoa, no, 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 Lord, you can't, that's too dirty. You can't do that. I need you to be the Lord, and I'll be the servant. That's, that's the role that I want to play here. That's how I feel so often. God, you can't serve me. My job is to serve you. And then his response is, well, hey, listen, okay. But if you don't let me serve you, you have no part with me. Boom. Whoa. What he's saying there is there's only one way in. And the way in, the way we all get in, is he serves us. And he washes us clean. That's the way in. That's the only way in. It's not pride. It's not our achievements. It's not what we can make ourselves do. It's, it's through him. That's how you get in. <laughs> and uh, what that evokes in us is transformative. So I remember, you might know my youngest son, my currently youngest son, Caleb, is, um, uh, had a big heart operation when he was two months old. And um, I can't begin to describe to you the sense of gratitude that, that comes to you when you're in a situation where you can't do anything for your child. And then you've got all these people who surround you who do. So the Royal Brompton Hospital... Like, if they need anything, I'll, I'll try and be there. Not that I could serve them very well or with very much, but that's what I'll do. Why? Because we turned up and you've got these nurses and these doctors and these receptionists and these administrators and these volunteers. And their, their, their whole mission 
is to bring life to your child. And I, I still remember driving in at 4.30 a.m. in the morning on the day that he was going to have his heart operation. Uh, I, I left so early because I just was terrified of getting caught in traffic driving into central London. I just was, there was nothing going to stop me from being there. I remember driving in and just thinking as I was driving in, there's a whole bunch of people, not least the surgeon, who are getting up this morning and they're on their way to work for another day at work. And their, their, their mission is to bring life to my child. And, and so I'll, I'll serve them in any way that I can. But the reason I want to serve is not because I feel like I should. Oh, my word, I really must serve these people. It's because I'm just so grateful for what they've done for me. And I just want to do anything I can in response. And so Christian service, it starts there. Uh, it's recognizing the way up is down. And he went first. Second thing, in Jesus' kingdom, uh, the reason why we serve is because each of us have a part to play. And so once Jesus has served, he sits back on his chair and then he says this. Do you understand what I have done for you? That's a good question. Do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Um, we never, as believers, stop being served. It's a mistake to think that we, we go on a journey from being served as followers of Jesus to now serving everybody else. and We don't need to be served anymore. We, we never get to that point. We all need to be served by one another. We'll always need to be served by our God and our King. At the same time, the journey of maturity does include becoming people who are learning to serve other people. Um, you know, when we're, when we're children, what happens is our world is very small. So my little kids, you know, they're just obsessed with themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when he was in hospital, when Caleb was in hospital, I was looking after the other two by myself, and it was my birthday, and I tried to explain to them what we do for people on their birthdays, you know. Josiah was three, Judah was two, and I said, number one, we don't wake up at five in the morning. Well, what happened? They woke up. I said to them the next morning, hey guys, do you remember it's my birthday? And Josiah just looked at me and paused. And then he said, for my next birthday, I would like a Velociraptor cake. And, um, and that was that. And it was not about me, it was all about them. Well, th- that's, how, that's how our lives begin, right? When we're small and immature. And then the theory is, as we grow more mature, what happens is, is we become a smaller and smaller part of that world. And, I, and everybody else becomes a bigger part of it. And um, again, don't hear me wrong, there are times when we, each of us, however mature we are in the faith, need to just be and be served. At the same time, um, it's recognizing that there's a difference between, I don't want to serve because I'm incapacitated right now and it's a healthy thing that I recognize that, to I don't want to serve because, um, it's just, because I don't. And one of the things that I have, God has had to open my eyes to in the last 10 years is that if I have a fault, and I have a lot of faults, but I'll tell you a big one, I can be self-absorbed. And if you don't believe me, ask the people I live with and ask Mike. And a definition of sin that I came across some time ago was that a sin is like when a soul is curved inwards on itself. It's like when the only thing it looks at, the only thing it seems to care about is itself. And what service does, service to others, is it allows us, and sometimes almost 
cajoles us, disciplines us into lifting our eyes from our own souls and our own troubles to looking into the eyes of other people and to looking um, outwards. And to be a servant, what it means is to live a life for other people's benefit. Jesus does this. He does it at a moment of extreme pressure. Those are the moments most obviously in my life where I'm self-absorbed when I'm stressed, right? Jesus is facing death in a few hours, and yet he's willing to wash feet. And so um, it's part of maturing on this journey, but also... Part of the walk here is learning to appreciate what Jesus is about when he's forming his people. Because he's not building an institution that we can tick a box and say we're members of. Nor is this about a service time that we attend. You know, we so often speak of church mistakenly as this is, this is kind of like the church I attend. It's in this physical location. It happens at this time. Church is a people that we're part of. Church is a community that we belong to. And so uh, what it is to serve is it's to recognize that as part of a family and part of a community, I have a role to play. Um, You know, we talked when we were looking at the building about family home and how the point of us doing a building project was not the building. The point was, as a family grows um, and healthy ones grow, then they need to expand their physical space so they can make sure that the space matches and facilitates all that they need to be as a family. And that's why we're doing a building project. But at the same time, the family within it has to function in a particularly healthy way. And if, you know, there's a difference between going out to a restaurant, going out to a cinema, going out to a show, and coming to church. And the difference is, when you go to a cinema or a restaurant or a show, the expectation is that nothing will be required of you. But in a family, we all pitch in and we all help out. One person empties the bins, one person loads the dishwasher, one person kind of sweeps up the the food under the table, whatever it is. But it's that thing of we're a community and we're a family and we do it together. And that's a sign of maturity. And in our, in, our, in our structures in the society that we're living in, it's almost always a pyramid. You know, the sense of you've got the rich and the powerful, and the ones who are to be served at the top of the pyramid, and the rest of us, we're all at the bottom of the pyramid, and we're the ones who do the serving. And our aspiration is, I want to climb to the top of the ladder, I want to get to the top of the pyramid so that I can be that person that gets served by everybody else. And in scripture, the structure for a church is not a pyramid, but a body. And there's something really profound about that. Um, You know, if my body, if 80% of it decided, do you know what? I would like to be an appendix today. Then I would be in trouble because as far as I know, and I'm not a trained medical doctor, but the appendix doesn't do anything. So for, for a body to function in a healthy way, the way that that happens is that each bit of the body realizes what its, what its role is and it chooses to play. And so for each of us, we have the opportunity to play our part. And here's the third thing, the final thing that I'll say. In Jesus' kingdom, we can make a difference. It's nuts, but the way that God works in this world is through his church. It's through us. It's the primary way. And what Jesus did, let me just point you back to what he does in this moment. It makes a difference. The first difference is their feet go from being skanky to being clean. But here's the more profound thing that's going on. So it says uh, in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you see? So what's happening there is their feet go from being dirty to being clean. But you see what is really happening there is they are being loved. And that's the point. 
And service so often is a physical thing. But you know, I don't know, is it 90% of communication is non-verbal? It's one thing to say, I love you to someone, but if you really want to know who loves you, look who serves, look who sacrifices for you. That's the giveaway. Service is a physical act. And so when we're talking about the various teams and we're talking about the different things that can happen, what I love about it is that on the surface, it's such a physical thing. I will hand you a cup of tea. I will help you park your car. I will look after your child. I will sit with you and I will help you color in this picture. If you're helping with the kids' work, whatever it is, it's a very physical thing. But here's the real thing that is communicated beneath the surface, which is we love you. If we do it right, we love you. Don't underestimate the impact of that. Um, just to finish, I want to show you a little video that I came across. It's from, um, you know, Chick-fil-A, which is this fast food chain in America. I just, I just found it, and I loved it, and I thought it made a point. So I want to, I want to show it to you. I think it's like an internal thing that they must have shown their team. Um, but have a look at the screens now.
And I've chatted to person after person who's been here in this church and they've met the Lord and their lives have been changed as a consequence. Um, But you know, those things don't just happen. There is a profoundly earthy, physical, practical aspect to making a space in which people meet the Lord. Um, You know, if the 70 or 80 people that are involved in serving this morning to make this meeting happen weren't here, it would be chaos, let me tell you. You would have driven onto this estate and had no idea where to park, Uh, although sometimes that's a good thing. There wasn't one occasion where a new member of the parking team directed everyone to park in a position where they all got fined. Um, But don't worry, the head of the parking team, Badger, took him out and shot him. but, uh, you know, you'd have had you'd have no idea where to park. There'd have been no one to drop your, your kids with. So we would have had hundreds of children running around in here screaming their heads off. Thank goodness they're all running around screaming their heads off next door with a bunch of adults kind of cowering in the corner over there. But uh, there'd have been no one here to give you a coffee. You would be having caffeine withdrawal symptoms going through the roof right now. There would be no band to lead us in worship. It would have been me singing, which would have been horrific and... Fortunately, you wouldn't have been able to hear me because there'd be no sound person to make the microphones work and you wouldn't have known what to sing anyway because there'd be no words on the screen. And you see, it, it, it's, that's, that's partly how it works. And I, I have um, many ambitions. We, I'm sure, have many ambitions as a church. But I tell you what, one of them is I don't want to get beaten by Chick-fil-A when it comes to loving people. And so if you have capacity, I would invite you to just pray and ask God and think it through, but to pledge serving some time. What you're signing up to do is you're signing up to serve 12 to 13 times every year. It's about once a month. There's five-week months sometimes, but 12 or 13 times in a year. You can read little booklets that are all around the place. It's all on the website about the different teams. Fill out the card. If you want to fill it out this morning, you can put it in a bucket over near the door. You can put it, uh, there's little standards at the back, Tim, Uh, where Tim will be. You can go and talk to him and sign up with him if that makes it easier for you. You can sign up online, um, but we'd love you to do it. And if you can do it sooner rather than later, because over the next kind of 10 days or so, we'll be in touch with you and we're just going to work out rotors and make sure everything is covered so that we can welcome and love everyone uh, and read their stories as well as we can when they turn up on our doorstep, 27th of October.